0: listening to the saint mark's podcast for august 8th 2022 the ninth sunday after pentecost today's sermon was given by the reverend peter walsh it's based on luke chapter 12 verses 32 through 40. good morning again to all of you who are here and to all of you who are gathering on stream so we are in a part of the gospel where jesus uh, is moving from the area in the Galilee where he is living, he is on his way to Jerusalem. And as he comes down toward Jerusalem, he is teaching a lot. And so we join in today with Jesus' teaching. And for those who are gathered around him, he he says this beautiful term endear- of endearment, little flock. And I think we all do well to, to lean into that term of endearment, that, that little flockness, and and, and feel ourselves as beloved of Jesus for his little flock are people that are beloved to him and the teachings that he gives are words of love for those that he loves Jesus in his teaching is constantly trying to awaken us to the realities of what we might call the spiritual world and not only this the realities of the spiritual but they are the ultimate realities of life he's trying to teach us about god he's trying to teach us about the ways of god and he's trying to teach us about how we might be in the flow in communion with this god who he calls abba or father and all of this gets wrapped up in what he refers to as the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven And he is trying to get us to orient our lives toward the kingdom of heaven. And he knows that in order to do this, he has to uh, dismantle our natural orientation toward ourselves in the kingdom of this world. And so as he teaches, he uses every tool that he has, right? Dictates and counsels and exhortations, one commandment metaphors, similes, analogies, stories, parables. He uses really extreme speech to try to awaken us and to shock us, and he uses his life. Jesus' primary teaching tool is his life. I mean, the bracelets were, uh, what, you know, what would Jesus do, not what did Jesus think or what did t- Jesus teach. And Jesus is, um, he's uncompromising, and he is unrelenting, in his vision and in his love. And as part of that, he takes on our visions, our values, and our occupations and our preoccupations. He takes on money and power and prestige and family and culture and religion. He takes all of these on. And he, uh, (laughs) you know what I'm reminded of, you know what I love? I love the controlled blasts where they take down huge office buildings or old factories and they put the dynamite in all the right places and at the appointed hour they hit some switch and the thing goes and it implodes on itself that's what jesus is trying to do with our thought structures that keep us away from god he's trying to he's trying to put dynamite on them so to speak to implode them so that to knock those down so the kingdom of god can grow up within us and within our psyches And so he begins today's teaching with the phrase Do not be afraid, or in the old translation, fear not. And Jesus lives as one with no fear. The only time we have any sort of parentheses on that, really, is the night before he dies in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there is a long list of fear nots in the scriptures. Fear is throughout the whole Bible uh, in what to do with it. Everybody's always trying to count how many fear nots there are. And and there's different sorts of fears. There's fears of the divine. We get that in the Gospel according to Luke, right? We have Zechariah in the temple. We have the angel Gabriel visits Mary. And uh, when the shepherds of the field are visited and they're cowering, it's all fear not. It's, you know, fear not this holy visitation, and then we get that wonderful scene uh, up in the Galilee where the, s- the disciples are out in the stormy waters, and Jesus is walking on the water, and they're, they're petrified, and he says, fear not. Now, of course, we're riddled with fear. We, we live in a world that is riddled with fear, and for some of us, it seems even more fearful with time. The, the newspaper is a rag of, of fear, and it's an inevitable part of human existence. It just is. It's part of our defense mechanism system. But what Jesus is talking about when he says, fear not, is to not make fear the centerpiece of our lives, occupations, preoccupations, and to not have it take up a centerpiece place in our soul. He's trying to move that aside, to to get that out, and he does that by talking about, about, uh, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, he's he's trying to explain to us that the divine is involved in our lives, and so we don't have to spend our whole lives building a bunker for ourselves. Now, we know from the scriptures that at Jesus' baptism, you will remember the the voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And then uh, up on the Mount of Transfiguration at Mount Tabor, we hear, uh, this is my beloved uh, son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. That's the message to uh, Peter, James, and John on the top of Mount Tabor. And now when Jesus says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, this is the only time that Jesus says these words good pleasure and it is your, his father's good pleasure if we were reading the red-lined version of the King James Vi- Bible this would be the only red line of good pleasure and this is the only time that we hear that this good pleasure is directed toward us instead of toward Jesus now as you know the way as Jesus teaches we don't have a, a recording of his teaching and the gospels represent uh, a editor's choice of sorts. I mean, we would say that Luke uh, is telling us a story, and he's using the materials of his day and kind of putting the stories in line to tell us Jesus' story. And so after this line about it's God's good, it's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, uh, we launch into Jesus saying, sell your possessions and give alms. Now, this, is, this, uh, this exhortation we hear as radical counsel, we immediately think, well, wait a minute, I can't give all my stuff away. Then I would be a burden to the state or something like this. I mean, we negotiate with this. Uh, and Jesus tells several people to give away their stuff. Not everybody, but now we get this, sell your possessions and give them. I and what is he trying to do? Well, certainly he is trying to loosen our grip on our possessions and the stuff we have and to let let some flow go here uh, to renounce this in some sense and to, to join the, the holy flow and to give. And uh, I just want to give a parenthesis here. I'm speaking primarily to all of you who are members of our parish. We just uh, completed a, a, a capital campaign that was really incredible for us. And I just note that so many of you did exactly what Jesus is saying. Sell your possessions and give alms. So many of you sold stocks that you had and investment vehicles that you had and gave them to the church. That's what Jesus is talking about. You did a Jesus thing by doing so. Now, he moves from the sell your possessions and gives alms because he's got a whole other agenda that he's working on. And he says, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Well, we do make earthly purses, right? We have bank accounts and 401Ks and 403Bs and investments in retirement funds. We work, we get money, we put it in the bank or some investment vehicle, and if we're lucky enough, that stuff works for us when we're not working. In Jesus' day, uh, there was no bank, Right? Uh, but they did have purses. You hear about silk purses. They did have purses. And they did put their coins in their purses, uh, and they did keep their wealth in in rare metals. And that's why you hear in Matthew's version of this, where no rust can destroy. It's the it's the metals of value, and where no moth can destroy. And what the moth is talking about is for the wealthier households, they would have some very ornate clothing that they kept as value and like an investment, and the moth could destroy it. And since there was no FDIC, all this could be stolen. And this was part of the reality of all of these people's lives. Now Jesus is obviously telling us to make spiritual purses and to gather spiritual treasures. We make spiritual purses in the exact same way that we make bank accounts. We make them by deposits. When we do spiritual work, when we do those things of the divine, when we take time to pray, to, to Maranatha meditate, to, to ponder the scriptures, the lively word, to do things for our Lord, to, to sell our possessions and to give alms, when we do all that, we develop An interior purse and that interior purse is filled with spiritual treasures that will never die away now Jesus is really hammering home this point so in the passage that follows we get the same message but with different metaphors he says uh, be dressed for action now if you go back into the Greek, be dressed for action is essentially the same as we get in the story where the master comes home and fastens one's belt, and if you read the old translation, it would say girded, gird your loins. Now I, was, I grew up with the phrase, gird your loins, and man, anytime my mom said, gird your loins, I was like, uh-oh, I gotta gird my loins. Love that phrase, very evocative. I never had any idea what it meant, but I knew there was, something was coming. And what girding your loins is, fastening your belt, is this. I'm sorry I have a pulpit in front of me. But they, uh, the people of Jesus' day, essentially wore clothing like I have, long, roby clothing. And this this, this statement, you know, be, be dressed for action, fasten your belt, gird your loins, is a dictate that was given just before the Passover event in the book of Exodus, and god said gird your loins in other words take up your long robes and take your cincture your belt and tie it up so that the robes don't encumber your feet the purpose of which is your feet need to be free for action because the lord wants action it's time to move don't let that robes don't let those robes get in the way that's what dress for action is that's what gird your loins means that's why one fastens one's belt And we're also told that we're to keep our lamps lit. Now, we know about that from the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids. Remember the parable? We have the five bridesmaids who had oil for their lamps, and the five bridesmaids who did not have oil for their lamps, the five bridesmaids who didn't have oil, went out on the road in the middle of the night looking for oil, and then the master came and knocked, and they let the door open and then they closed the door and those who didn't have the spiritual oil missed the coming of the lord that's what the story is about you have to have spiritual oil you have to keep your lamp lit so that you know when the lord knocks jesus tells us something that we might miss make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven so this word unfailing which we can go over really quickly we probably not ought to run over because things fail and they fail regularly and in the end we all fail our heart fails, right? We all die and when Jesus is talking about this unfailing treasure he is talking about having a spiritual well within us that can sustain us through the vicissitudes of life. So that when we have a downturn, we don't go down, we don't go all the way down. We have a spiritual well that can carry us through. And then when we die, this spiritual well stays with us. This is the thing that we do bring into the heavens. The story goes like this. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet. So that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks now this this comes to the door in knocks we find this imagery of jesus or the lord knocking at the door in several places there is in particular in the book of revelation the line behold i am standing at the door knocking and there was a very Famous uh, painting done. I think it was in the '50s. It was kind of a staple of church school in the '50s. It was a very white Jesus standing there, knocking at a door in a tree, and the the tree was our heart. And the question was, could we hear the knocking, and we would we open the door and let the 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 Lord enter our lives? In this story, we hear two. Blessed Blessed are those slaves whom the Master finds alert when he comes. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them, so blessed are those slaves. So these blessed are, these are Beatitudes, right? We think of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are the humble of heart, right? And we think of it on the, the plain, Sermon on the plain in Luke, blessed are the poor. And here we get these two Beatitudes. And Beatitudes are uh, the sense of God's favor. That's, that's what they are. So, what is this, this spiritual treasure, this, this heavenly treasure, this kingdom, uh, or this Beatitude? And what it is, is the experience, the spiritual intuition to know the God is real, The God is alive. There is a living God who is alive and present in your life, to really experience that. And for, for anybody who has this visitation of grace, it's impossible not to experience it as a beatitude, as God's good favor. Because you know that when you receive such an experience, you didn't crank this up out of your own, your own life. You just, your emotions can't do this. This is something that is being visited upon you. The Lord has come in your door. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, Truly I tell you. Now, any time Jesus says, Truly I tell you, that is a solemn, Yo, wake up. I really want you to hear this truth. And he goes on, Truly I tell you, He will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them so the message is clear the master serves the servant so this is a this is a wild reversal particularly for the people of Jesus's day who uh, are raised on the Hebrew Scriptures where there is a great fear fear of God around the holiness of God, the power of God, the mystery and the majesty of God, and the purity of God. With the idea that God is so pure and we are so impure that if our impurity comes close to the divine, we burn like wood in a fire. This is all the stuff about purity cleansing in the book of Leviticus, all the issues with Moses going up and down the mountain and the fear, and Jesus takes that whole thing and reverses it and says, the Lord is going to come bring you the kingdom and deliver it to you. this is treasure divine this is this is this is heavenly treasure to know that God is real and alive in your life and and in your soul and and so you know when he says, uh, you know when you get this treasure, there your heart is also well." It's because you have a heart for God and God is in your heart. That's why you have a heart for God. It's because you sense the presence of the divine alive in your heart. And this is a beatitude that transcends everything. And then we get at the end of the passage, remember this is all redacted and put together, something about a thief coming and stealing, which has nothing at all to do with the previous story. But what it has to do with is this warning in other words you do not want to miss this beatitude you do not want to miss this sense of god's reality you do not want to miss this and so we hear but know this if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming he would not have let his house be broken into you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an unexpected hour this is a drumbeat from jesus stay awake stay awake this experience is coming to you. You have to be ready for the experience. Stay awake, stay awake. And yet, for you know, anytime we have that experience, I mean, I don't know what happens to you when you settle down into prayer in quiet, when the Lord really shows up, it always comes as unexpected. We always experience it as a surprise. And we always experience it as a beatitude. When Jesus said, it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, when we have just a drop of the kingdom, we experience a soul pleasure that transcends all worldly pleasure. It's it's pleasurable beyond words, and it is God's good pleasure to give us. So let us be ready.